Welcome to Renegade Thinkers Unite, possibly the best weekly podcast for CMOs and everyone else looking for innovative ways to transform their brand, drive demand, and just plain cut through, proving that B2B does not mean boring to business. Here's your host and chief marketing renegade, Drew Neiser. Hello, renegade thinkers. Let there be no doubt that necessity is the mother of invention. When the pandemic struck, many CMOs faced the daunting challenge of replacing physical events with something, anything that might replace the vibrant source of leads, deal acceleration that happened at events, customer engagement that happened at events, and even sales training. I mean, salespeople love physical events. That's when they get to do their magic. For Duck Creek Technologies, which serves the insurance industry, losing events, specifically an annual conference, was like suddenly trying to fly a plane in a hurricane without a pilot or crew or passengers. That may be a little overdramatic, but you get the metaphor. What I love about the story you're about to hear is that not only did they succeed in replacing the big event, but also ended up with a whole new type of marketing engine one that drove leads and built community. To guide us through this turbulent but ultimately successful journey is Lauren St. Amon, Senior Director Marketing at Duck Creek Technologies. Hello, Lauren. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to see you. By the way, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Nice day in Boston here. Oh, good. I always like to sort of ground the listeners and where you are. Of course, I'm in New York City and you're in Boston. Okay. Let's jump right in. I know you've been at Duck Creek for almost four years, but can you remind me how long ago your CMO left and you end up piloting marketing? Oh, actually, yeah. Yeah. And Scott left uh, about six months ago. Okay. All right. So that, that helped. But what a great opportunity for you. And I imagine just a little bit scary. Yeah, it's been great. We have a really good team. We have a very strong team. That's awesome. Okay. So let's get to the story it's March, April, 2020. You had a big event, a plan. I think it was like six weeks out. Let's talk about the situation with your, your normal customer event and how important that was to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who's going to ever forget that, right? So 2020, we had an event, our flagship event formation, Duck Creek Technologies, Ducks Fly Information, hence the name. Yeah, we had an event scheduled for April. And of course, March 1st, we just got really nervous. What were we going to do? We had to shut it down. So we knew we were going to have to do something about it. So yes, COVID was a catalyst for kind of reimagining our flagship event. So you know you can't do it. And so what were some of the steps that you did to sort of say, okay, we'll just postpone it and wait to see what happens. We'll go virtual. What I mean, how did you sort of get to a decision to go to virtual? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So We've been working for months on content, right? The whole company, the whole company had been working for months on this rich content for our customers and prospects and analysts for this event. And we couldn't let that all go to waste, right? So I knew a lot of people were doing digital events, two-day events, and just the thought of sitting behind a computer for two days just right out of the gate didn't sound right. So we decided to do something a little different. We created a digital engagement platform, if you will, so that we could keep giving out this content and people could access it when it was convenient for them. So let's break that down a little bit. So digital engagement platform, is this something that you created from scratch? Did you work with any outside firms to build it? 
Yeah, Vitals are one of our agencies that we work with and we would be lost without them, but they work with us on our website and everything as well. So we we kind of sat down and said, what's going to make it engaging? What's going to make it dynamic? And the thought was, you know, it's insurance. So <laughs> how exciting can you be with insurance? But we said we wanted to have like a little Netflix for insurance. So that was kind of how we how we designed it. That's a great metaphor. And one of the things that really helps in a project like this is to have a vision and imagination to say, okay, so Netflix for insurance. Well, if I go to Netflix, I see great little previews. I have things that might interest me. Talk about how you sort of built the structure and what you obviously don't have a million different series that you can go and buy or produce. So talk a little bit about how you plan this. Yeah, yeah, that was great. We used Vimeo for recording our keynotes teams for recording regular sessions, but we took the track that we'd already developed for formation and broke it into pieces. And we set up, you could design your own agenda. You could save sessions to a box and come back and watch them later. We had relevant sessions and content that would pop up when you were watching it so that the user or the attendees or subscribers could find the content that was relevant to them. Interesting. Okay. So I'm imagining, again, I'm sort of on the Netflix thing. I I see a bunch of different sort of some kind of menu bar with all sorts of different subjects. I go and watch one of the subjects and this is all on demand, right? You're not sort of doing anything at any particular time. You could go to this whenever you wanted. That's actually, uh, yeah. So we do design it so that everything will be recorded and people could watch it at on demand at their convenience. But we also do have a lot of live events to keep people, you know, we broadcast them live or to keep people engaged and do Q&A and have interaction. And we do schedule those so people can look forward to them. And we get little boosts of bumps in our subscription rates when that happens. So let's let's go to the first how long did it take you from the time that you decided, oh gosh, we need a virtual engagement platform, digital engagement platform to when you had it? Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. A okay. lot of work. Well, so the good news was you kind of knew where with the content that already, so then it was more a question of recording it and sort of organizing it than it was, what are we going to put here? So you had some head start, a lot of head start there. But what were some of the challenges of just getting something like this done? And how did you sort of decide we have enough to pull the trigger? Well, we knew we had enough content. And what we really wanted to do was, you know, the keynotes for formation were really valuable because that's our customer stories, right? So calling up our customers and asking them, hey, would you do this virtually instead? That was the that was the very first step. So once we got those set up and lined up and recorded, we put the customer at the center of our story for reformation. And that that's what people wanted to do. And from there, we picked relevant pieces to go with it and set it up. Were there any customers who said, no, I don't want to do this. It's too whatever. Oh, gosh, you made me remember back that far. I think there was one. I think there was one. And he came back later and he was on our next our next round. <laughs> so, no, actually, they, everybody, you know, everybody really understood. I think we were all in the same boat at that point. And I know that, so one of the challenges with remote video, and, and we've actually found one solution that works pretty well, but is getting good quality. What do you do to record that? Just Is that what you use Teams for? Or do you we have use Teams them? in-house for internal sessions and, and the smaller sessions, but with our customers and our keynotes, like our CEO and everybody who was up speaking, we used a tool called Vimeo. Yeah. And, and did some backgrounds and created those on our own. We have a really, we have a great creative team and, and Vital again is, is really... 
I'm sorry to get so technical on this, but one of the big challenges, so these folks are all at home, right? Because everybody's at home. And so the big challenge was, was how do you make sure the lighting is good, the sound is good? I mean, Vimeo is just a place to house the, the content. You're not actually recording on it. So you still have to record it. I'm just curious because this was such a big issue early on. Yeah, we did Zoom, I guess, for the basic recordings and then pulled it into Vimeo. And you're right. It was. It was best practices, right? And there was, a, there was a, we sent out guides and things like that for people, green screens in some cases, and little kits like that. All right. So fine. Now I, now I got it. We're do it, doing it exactly as we're doing it here. We're using Zoom. We're hoping that you have a good mic set up. If you don't, we'll send you one. If you don't have a light set up, we'll send you that too. I uh, got it. Okay. We get all these customers' stories recorded. What did you do to sort of spread the word that this event was happening? And because, you know, my understanding is that even the first time, six weeks into the launch of this thing, your numbers were pretty good, at least started to sort of beat expectations. How did you get the word out? So what was interesting was, you know, our flagship event formation is usually all customers. I'd say 90% customers. It's very rare that we would get prospects to go to the event. What happened here with this transformation was a bonus that we weren't expecting. And we, our prospect numbers, actually over the thousand marks for prospects, it's just really outweighed that. We were really surprised. So it's become like this digital platform for buyers. And I want to get to that, but I want to make sure we still understand the various steps along the way. So you decide you're, we're going to go virtual. We're going to set up this platform. We're going to launch it. We're going to have some live speaking going on at it. So there's a reason to attend in real time. How did you let customers, how did even prospects find out about it in order to attend? Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, just emails. We sent out a lot of emails to start with. We did do a little bit of advertising paid media that would drive people back social. Got it. And one of the things that a lot of brands in the first in April and May, because it was still a novelty, a number of, of folks, attendance was pretty good initially. And a lot of the folks that I interviewed, the CMOs interviewed, had similar numbers where, wow, we got customers, we got prospects. But what was interesting is later on, at least, a lot of the attendees were not as engaged as they had originally expected, and they struggled to convert some of these folks. I'm curious, since you had prospects there and you weren't expecting them, what did you do sort of to get a nurture stream going? So again, it boils down to the content and having really interesting content. I mean, digital transformation in our in our industry just never stops, right? So it's always going to be kind of new, engaging content. But the customers were what people wanted to come and see and hear their case studies, success stories, best practices, that because this industry, you know, is going through this whole transformation. So listening to how people are getting through it was really key. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think it's one of the mistakes that I saw in webinar after webinar after webinar. And to some extent, it's talking heads from the company sharing the story. And they leave like in a webinar. I saw one webinar where there was seven minutes for the customer to talk. And it's like, no, no, no. Start with the customer. Have That's what everybody comes for and can relate to. It's such an important insight. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll dive in even deeper into this really interesting program. So stay with us. If you don't mind, I'd like to plug CMO Huddles for a second. 
Launched in 2020, CMO Huddles is an invitation-only subscription service that brings together an elite group of CMOs to share, care, and dare each other to greatness. Talk about necessity being the mother of invention. CMO Huddles was invented because it was very difficult to interact when the pandemic began. One CMO describes Huddles as a timely conversation with smart peers in a trusted environment, while another called it a cross between an expert workshop and a therapy session. If you're a B2B CMO that can share and care with the best of them, visit cmohuddles.com or send me an email to see if you qualify for a guest pass. Okay, we're back. I want to make sure we've talked about the Netflix. Talk about the live component of this when you first launched it and how that worked. Yeah, I mean, we were nervous about technical difficulties. So in some cases, we would pre-record them. One of the things that was really great to do was these networking events. So we would have this area where people could go in and actually have networking events. One of the most successful ones was a, a what we called a woman innovation networking event. The acronym is WINE. So everybody likes to get behind that. So we actually sent out bottles of wine to people that would subscribe, a bottle of red, a bottle of white. We had a sommelier from Manhattan that came in and gave a nice little wine tasting for the first 15 minutes. And then we had, again, customer women, customers on the panel that talked about different events. So it's not always about insurance. It's not always about our product or our customers doing. We had actually designed these networking events to keep, to build that sense of community. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting part of this that really we're not talking about a virtual event here. We're really talking about something that replaced a physical event but became this platform for you to engage customers and prospects. And I think that's such an interesting thing. So once you had this platform, you could do these special events, if you will. I love wine, Women in <laughs> Innovation Network event. I love that. Especially during a pandemic, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's great. And then you got customers on a panel. Everybody was a little loose. It's sort of an edutaining kind of a thing. And the point that you make about the fact that it doesn't all have to be insurance. I mean, let's face it. The goal here is to get people to together to feel good about the brand. And if you can get a message in there, with the customer talking about you, all the better. So on that kind of a thing, that's a micro event within the platform. And is that sort of, was that part of the strategy at the beginning or did you just sort of realize, oh, we could do that here too? No, we needed some wine. <laughs> so we definitely set that up. <laughs> there was some selfish motivation behind that particular event. Our partners also, you know, it wasn't just about our content. We have a plethora of partners that, you know, are very innovative and a lot of our customers use those technologies to, to innovate themselves. So having them part of this, be a part of this and sponsor this event, it actually carried over. They were originally our sponsors for our live event formation, and it carried over and they stuck with us. And then we eventually would build out these virtual booths. And when we do have events, people can actually come in too and video chat with the partners and ask questions. So that was a big part of it as well. Yeah. And let's talk about that because so many folks that were going to sponsor physical events, when they went virtual, they said, oh, the value's not here. I'm not going to stay. But yours did. How did you reframe the value proposition? I mean, one it's one hand, when you go to a physical event and you know there are going to be 900 people there and you know who they're going to be and your sales eyes are going to be interact. And you can sort of almost predictably no, based on past experience, the value of, of this kind of thing. Here, 
they're walking into Never Neverland. They don't know what it's going to be. How did you sort of get them comfortable with the idea of, of staying with you? Yeah, we were all nervous about that for sure. They did sessions themselves and we hosted it on the platform. But what was interesting was we designed something that people could save a session. So they, there would be a little star and it would go up into their holding basket, if you will, so that every time they came back to it and anytime that they clicked that star, they were basically a lead. So they were opting in to watch a partner video. So the leads weren't just from one event there. We give leads over to our partners on a monthly basis. So they just keep happening. They're new refresh. Plus, you can also see who's still engaging, who's still watching. All that data is that intent-driven data is shared with our partners. It's part of their sponsorship. And again, I want to make the point, folks that are listening, there's a big difference here between a moment in time, a two-day virtual event, and this ongoing platform. And I know a lot of virtual events stayed up there and that content stayed up there, but I wouldn't call it an engagement platform. It was just a place where there was a content, right? And it feels like you created ways so that there could be interactivity and and ways of keeping it fresh and talk a little bit about how you, some of the things that you did in that way. We talked about the wine event, but how else did you get people to keep coming back or new people to come to it? Yeah, it was depending on the thought leaders that we had. We would have analysts that would come on, talk about industry insights that were happening that were relevant to people. So if we have someone who specializes in claims, say they're a vice president of claims, their their content's going to be very much different than somebody who is a CIO who might be interested in more of a technical or architecture. So different types of sessions were developed tracks, if you will, just like for our regular event, developing these different tracks. And again, finding the partners to chip in as well. So we started with this great amount of content that we had for the event already, but how do you keep adding to it? How do you keep it fresh and engaging? And that was really a collaborative effort with our partners. So one of the challenges that, and this happened a lot in B2B land, were folks knew that they weren't going to be able to do physical events. In some cases, they furloughed their event teams because a lot of them didn't have the skills, the digital skills to do a virtual event. It really is a very different kind of a thing. So I'm wondering how you you worked with your team. Did you have to bring anybody new on? How did you sort of adapt to a, what is essentially a completely different style of presentation and engagement? Yeah, it was a big switch for sure. A lot of us, we, our event team weren't digitally savvy. It was something that we did have to learn on the fly. Again, we did have a, an agency that we worked with who was, who was very supportive on our website. So they were a big part of developing it. But the actual production of it, we did hire some people, some new people. We beefed up our creative team, motion graphics, video producers, and gratefully had the support of my executive team to, to do that quickly. But it was about interviewing people, just like you and I are talking right now. And I think we were kind of comfortable with that at that point anyway for webinars, but nobody used to turn their cameras on to be very camera shy, right? So that took a little bit of a a little bit of a switch to go. Right. Yeah. It just makes sense that you would need to bring some video people in-house and and to be able to have that, to be able to do this on the fly, on at scale, it helps. You just, I mean, yes, you could outsource all of it. But that could start to get really, really expensive, particularly if you think, now, when you did this, when you set up this platform, was there thinking that this could be an ongoing thing? Or was this, all right, well, we need to 
we had formation, we're going to do V formation. Was there any kind of long-term hope at the time of launch or did that just sort of go, oh, wow, this worked a lot better than we thought? Yeah, no, that's a good point. We were hoping, you know, because we never knew, none of us knew how long this was going to last, right? So we thought for sure, well, we'll do the event, the real event in six months and negotiate it with the hotel. Then it became a year. We really thought we would leave the platform up through the summer, through the end of our fiscal year, actually. And as it kept going and growing and engaging, it's like 80% of the people who watch our stuff is the replays. So the live events definitely draw new people, new subscribers, but most people watch the replays. And we decided why not leave this up as a way to keep customers connected between events. And again, then it took it took off. And now it's become, we will never have an event that does not have a digital component to it. So these hybrid events is probably is the next challenge. I think that yeah. all marketers are facing right now, right? And I agree. We're, we're going to cover that in a little bit. So 80% watched as replays. It's such an interesting number. And I'm imagining it now that you had to continue to market via emails to remind people. And were these people who had registered or you just got new people to come to watch this content, either through SEO, SEM, or other forms of marketing? Yeah, so everything's subscriber-based. So people do, they do subscribe to it. It's because we have a lot of content on there that would not be undated as a rule. Okay, so we have subscribers and that that subscriber, talk a little bit about the mix of subscribers and how that's grown over time. Yeah, so the mix of subscribers, again, did surprise us because we usually, it's a customer event. So out of the gate, we had probably about 300 customers that had signed up for the first, first event, but we had over a thousand prospects. So this was all through emails. We just did, we emailed customers, but we also emailed prospects. Hey, so-and-so is speaking from BHSI on their transformation and they wanted to hear about it. So it definitely became a lead generating event as well. Also analysts, analysts that not are only on the platform speaking, but they're also attending and partners, same thing. Partners are attending. The unusual surprise was employees. It's become a really good onboarding tool for new employees. What better way to hear about our product and stuff than actually going to the event? It's so interesting to hear you say that. In the benefit of physical events, and I think this is, again, one of those underappreciated things, when you're a new employee and you get to go to a physical event, you get to see how customers feel about the brand. You get to interact with customers on a casual basis. It really is a fabulous way. Even as an outsider, as an agency, I love going to our clients' events because I get to talk to customers and employees. So the fact that employees actually did engage with it is really interesting that it just sort of parallel, but these are employees that elected to do it. You didn't say, Hey, employees go do this. Yeah. No, our CEO talked about it on a town hall and, and definitely had a little lift in subscribers from employees that after that. You shared a slide with me earlier today. I don't know if I'm allowed to share that publicly, if I am all included in the show notes, but your partner number was also a very big part of this. Talk a little bit more about that because that number seems very high to me. We have a lot of partners. (laughs) So the partner sponsors, we had 34 different partners that were sponsoring the event itself. So, you know, they were creating the content as well and collecting the leads for it, but they're also learning about each other, right? So it's an ecosystem, different types of technologies integrate with each other. So yeah, partners is a big piece of it for sure. It's so interesting. It's sort of like you created this 
place almost like you're you're now a a publisher if you will where other brands can come and showcase their their technology in front of this same the same community before we wrap up this section i've used the word community several times in this and i want to make sure that it really is and and what that feels like how do you enable the community to engage with each other I, I think the networking events can help with that, getting people to talk outside of what their everyday is. A lot of thought leadership content, educational content on there, again, based on different tracks of interest, relevance. So if you watch one, one session, you'll get recommendations for other sessions. The community piece during the live events, I think, you know, we just had Formation Live, which was a, a two-day, two hours in the morning, two hours at night where all the booths are live and people can actually video chat with each other. There's also a networking area where customers can talk with customers if they will. Yeah. It's a lot. That's great. When you get into some of those details, you really see the moment in time of the sort of the, the live event definitely encourages that kind of thing. And I think for partners, they really, did somebody come to their booth Did they engage in it and they can see it. And so it's really easy for them to assess the value. So the fact that they've stayed with you and you have 34 of them with it is really a testament to the strength of this program. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into how this also became a demand generation engine for you all. So stay with us. I've got a new thought for you, which is, have you thought about doing some market research, but didn't have the manpower or expertise on your team to make sure that this research was methodologically valid, insight-rich, and newsworthy? Research can be a tentpole for entire quarters or half years worth of marketing activities. Research that your SDRs can use to help move a lead into a genuine opportunity. It's a lot to ask for market research, which is why more and more B2B marketers are coming to Renegade for help in this area. Renegade will help you craft the questionnaire, field the research, analyze the results, and even write up and design the report if your in-house team is too busy. If you're a B2B CMO, even thinking about market research, do yourself a favor, visit renegade.com, and let's have a quick chat about what your plan is, and maybe we can help. Okay, we're back. I love so many aspects of this story, and part of it is just the reminder that you just have to try to do stuff. You have to be experimental and you can't be afraid. You didn't know where this was going, but suddenly you had something that not only served the function in the short term, but became this long-term platform you're planning to invest in. And one of the reasons that you're planning to stay with it is this ability to get prospects engaged. And again, I'm going to emphasize that a lot of other B2B brands got a lot of what they thought were prospects, but they didn't turn into opportunities. They didn't turn into business. Have you been able to take some of those prospects and actually turn them into Duck Creek customers? Yeah, I'm actually really proud of this number too. We just got it yesterday, as a matter of fact. So the platform, the V Formation platform, as we call it, has actually influenced 72% of our current ACV pipeline. So the getting the opportunities that we were already working engaged with this content has definitely accelerated the pipeline and has driven some net new interest. I want to make sure because there's different definitions of pipeline. Mm -hmm. You say 72% ACV pipeline. 
define that a little more carefully. So we're just in agreement what pipeline means. Some will call pipeline real true opportunities where someone is actually a salesperson is actually engaged with a customer. Is that the way you look at pipeline? So yeah, this is influenced pipeline, just to be clear. It's not source, but it's influenced. And yeah, 72% of our active ACV pipeline, meaning that these are deals that are in the pipeline, have been very engaged with V-formation. Well, I don't know a single marketer out there who wouldn't be happy with 72%. (laughs) It's a great number. Talk a little bit about, okay, so have you been able to correlate, gee, if they watch this video or if they do this or they do one, two, three things that these are really truly that that intent, those are real buyer signals? I think we're really getting there. You know, it's been up for a year. So, you know, monitoring that data and trying to tie it to the sales cycle. We have a very long sales cycle. So that's why I don't want to share source numbers yet because they're still growing. It's hard. A lot of, you know, a lot of companies have long sales cycles and it's really, really hard to track all of this. Do we do measure, you know, best performing assets, best performing sessions, things like that. So we're hoping that, you know, a little bit more historical data under our belts will give us a little bit more insight into that journey. And let's talk about that because best performing, is that just most viewed or sort of most, they watch a session or they engage in something and then they do another thing. In the long-tailed world of SEO, you can have a asset that gets a lot of people to it, but it may not be the converting asset, right? And you may have one piece of content that's just very way down in there and only 10 people saw it, but it's the one that is the, is the true indicator. How, how are you looking at best performing? Yeah, best performing definitely by views. Also, how long do they stay on it for, right? Measuring right. that. Are they digesting the entire thing? Do they come back? Do they forward? Do they share? All those kind of numbers definitely definitely add up, I think, to a success. Got it. We've got this program. It's in place. It's driving leads. It's, it's making your customers look good. It's helping your partners get leads, even has your analysts showing up. And, and that certainly can't hurt when it comes to their ratings of you and your employees are going, which so your entire, I call it ecosystem or world is touched by this program. So let's talk about hybrid now. Everybody's looking ahead. They know physical events are on the horizon. More and more brands have them planned in September, October, November. What's your plan for hybrid? First of all, are you going to be doing a hybrid? Absolutely. Every event that we do going forward will have a hybrid component to it, a digital component to it. And I think we're we're taking a lot of lessons learned now and going to be able to apply them. We're having a small kickoff coming up, hopefully again, COVID not coming back here. We're going to be testing a lot of the broadcasting capabilities, integration capabilities with not just V-formation, but also a third party like VFairs. So we're actually looking forward to our big event formation next March and can't substitute real life interactions and clinking our glasses and toasting each other and, and that networking. You, you can't replace that. And so at first we were fearful, hey, is this going to like, why would people come to formation if they can just get all the content online? So building something that is both engaging for the attendee and also the people sitting at home is a really important step. So next March, how many people do you hope to have at that event? And clearly, again, customers being the number one priority because that's where it was before. I mean, are you going to get 400 customers to show up in March? This is such uncharted territory. We're so excited to see what's going to happen. But either way, I'm sure we're going to be getting a good response 
for people to come in, but we want to make it entertaining for people who can't either. And, and not just that, but some companies, you know, they, they can usually only send one to five people. Now you can send those one to five people, but you can also have 10 people back back home engaging with the same content. So it, it kind of, I'm hoping it's going to make it bigger. And you can always, just putting a customer and a prospect together in a room is, is a win-win for everybody. I know. That's the thing that people really forget about physical events. What they are are deal accelerators, right? You have someone that's late stage and they're there, they're kicking the tires, but they've also got customer right there over their shoulder saying, by the way, this is really great. You got to check it out. You got to do it. And that just helps close the deal and accelerate the deal. That's been so hard for so many long sales, the absence of that, of those sidebar conversations. So physical event going to happen in March. Don't know how many are going to go. I bet the numbers are going to be better than you think because people are so anxious to get out there and meet people and get back at it. And I'm starting to see that in events that have already been happening is people want to get out of their home offices or even back at, at work. From a hybrid standpoint, how are you going to sort of decide when you're on or off and live for the, the virtual people, the virtual attendees? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So keynotes broadcasted live. There's also apps for attendees that are going to be on site polling questions and things like that, that hopefully they'll be a way to keep the audience engaged on site, but also back at home. It's a three-day event. Some of the things, you know, workshops and things like that could be pre-recorded. And then we just flip a switch and have people there being able to do the Q&A, either yeah. over chat or video chat. So I'm hoping with VFairs that we'll be able to actually have our live live customers, obviously in the auditorium, but then up on screen right behind the, the speakers, have the people that are dialed in online up there as well. So you're getting the people in the audience and also the people up on stage, they're dialing in and really make it kind of a, I'm a that, that's kind of the vision. I'm hoping that we can get there. I love that. I mean, I, I think there are a couple of things that we talked about early on in virtual events because you have physical event and virtual really, you've got to have things like some things that are live that are only available live because otherwise I can watch it pre-recorded and you're always competing with your screen and email and other activities. So there's a, something that we'll miss. And the same thing with Q&As. And I think that's another lost opportunity where whether it's a webinar or a virtual event, there just aren't enough good quality Q&As. And the reason is two things. One, there's too much talking going on by the presenter and they don't leave enough time for it. Or two, it's not that interesting. And so people don't have questions. So solving for that means getting your customers, having them share their stories enough that a similar customer would say, oh, I have a question. How'd you do this? Because if it's just roadmap stuff or here's our technology or here's our point of view on something, it's it's very difficult to get engagement. It's so a production too. I just got to say, like, like how do you mentioned having people online being able to stay engaged with it. So we're going to be having like camera crews. This is something new that we've never had to do before. So Mike, our CEO, gets off the stage of doing his live keynote. He goes backstage to take his microphone off. We're going to have a camera in his face. He can wave to the people at home and to a little tidbit and keep them engaged that way. It's, it's like a production. It's a production. It's a whole different production now. Yeah, it really is. And it's going to be more expensive. That's the thing. I know that a lot of folks are worried about it. I mean, live streaming video from a remote location at a high quality is, it just adds cost. I mean, obviously it's worth it because you get better quality recorded, you get better, but it's it's a new thing. So you're really almost doing two things at the same time. And I think that's one thing that people haven't quite digested when they think about these hybrid events. 
What's great if you're working with a production company that, you know, has done productions before though, is there's, there's like with VCOs, there's a switch. So being able to do the production that you would normally do with the events and having it be broadcasted live, the teams collaborate with each other really well. They've been doing this, but they've been doing it for, you know, sporting events and TV shows and things like that. So if you have a company like that, that has that background, I think it makes it a lot easier. And we just did a cost analysis and I think it was like 30% of the numbers here, a little under 30% jump in increase in cost. So it'd be interesting to see what the benefits are, what we get out of it, who shows up. Right. Both. Okay. That's so helpful. Thank you for that. Cause I, I was sort of in my mind, I was imagining 25% increase or even lower than that, but 30% is realistic. And I think that's just important for the folks listening. If you're going to approach the hybrid event, get some more money. Yeah. Which, which means you need to get more partners there, which means you need to get more attendees there. So you need money for production, but you also need money for marketing to justify that incremental expense. Okay, so let's wrap this up and sort of say, first of all, what in your mind was the biggest sort of overall surprise that happened as a result of this? Definitely the surprise was the the variation in the attendees. Having prospects here, it's, you know, began to become a a platform for the digital buyer for us for B2B. It's that was a surprise. So we wanted this to be a customer event and we still do, but just getting that was definitely a bonus. And so from a hurdle standpoint, were there any sort of surprise, unexpected hurdles that you sort of went, oh, we didn't see this one coming that you had to deal with? I think the scariest one is technology issues, right? Trying to not just learn it, but also we still we're all still kind of challenged a little bit sometimes if the internet goes down or or things like that. But I think people really kind of, it's part of it. They they understand because we're all doing it, right? So if something like that happens, it happens and you and the show must go on, so to speak, and you keep doing it. Let's wrap up with, if you're going to build a virtual engagement platform or community, as you did, two do's and a don't. Two do's, hire, the, hire a really good company to support you, a great agency to support you. Definite must do. See best practices as lessons learned. Communicating it out, making sure that the subscription services, you're not overwhelming people to come on and, and asking them for too much. You want to give them something in return. And continuous content. Just keep building that content and engage others. Don't be afraid to share things. I think sometimes you you can get customers or partners that might be a little bit shared of sharing competitive information. I think. I think it really is helpful in this kind of a world. It helps our customers at the end of the day to be more innovative if they can engage with everybody. It's it's for them. Cool. And one don't. One don't. Oh, gosh. Don't hold back. Don't hold back on, on trying something new because you're afraid it's going to fail. It's really, it's been a lot of fun. Even any failures that we've had have been a lot of fun. Retrospectively, of course. Retrospectively, of course. And, and make sure your executive team's on board. You know, it's about, it's about communication too. You know, a lot of people don't understand what you're trying to do. So, so explaining that upfront and, you know, managing expectations is, a, is, is really important. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for sharing this. I think it's just such a terrific story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. And if you enjoyed this show and you're ready to produce your own virtual event because you got inspired here, do me a favor and go to your favorite podcast channel and give us a rating. How about a five star, maybe even a six star, if you can pull that off at your favorite platform or share the show with a friend.
Renegade Thinkers Unite is written and directed by Drew Neiser. Hey, that's me. Production is by Sam Beck. Show notes are written by Melissa Caffrey. The music is by the amazing Burns Twins. And the intro voiceover is Linda Cornelius. To find the transcripts of all episodes, visit and suggest future guests or learn more about the savviest B2B marketing boutique in New York City, visit renegade.com. I'm your host, Drew Neiser. And until next time, keep those renegade thinking caps on and strong. <laughs>